Welcome to On My Way to School with me, Adam Peterson, the podcast where I interview teachers, administrators, entrepreneurs, and people from all walks of life to share tips on positivity that will help motivate you for an awesome day. Let's buckle up, grab your coffee, and get ready for the show. We think you're great. We think you're great. Welcome back to the show, everybody. My guest today is is a pretty fantastic educator. I'm going to let her tell the story because this bio uh, is is second to none. But she is um, Aleli Vasquez, who holds a doctoral degree in higher educational leadership, has completed a dissertation on the evaluation of trauma in a foreign post. She has over 19 years of experience in both public and private education, starting in Puerto Rico, now in Florida, opening a new, a new school, 2020 principal of the year. This is this is pretty fantastic to have you on the show today. So welcome to the show. It's nice to see you. Hi, how are you, Adam? It's a pleasure to be here today. Well, thank you. And it's it's my the pleasure is all mine. I, I know I kind of threw that bio out there because I want you to tell the stats of your career because it's it's pretty fantastic. I know that this is the first time you and I have, have, have quote unquote met, <laughs> if we want to call it that. Um, we followed each other through social media. I think our connection probably began with with RCA and, and our mutual friends there. Um, and, and I've loved following everything you were doing with the, with this school. I think I even commented on something and said, Hey, maybe now's the time to relocate to Orlando when I saw you were looking for a kindergarten <laughs> teacher, but, uh, tell, tell your story. So a career that started in Puerto Rico, you're now in Florida. Tell us about you as an educator. Well, it never, ever, when I was a little girl, out of all the things that they when they ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? I've never said a teacher, even though my mom was a teacher. Really? Uh, never. I, I wanted to be a veterinarian. Then I wanted to be a pediatrician. But when it was time to go to college, I went to pre-med to become a pediatrician, right? Okay. Um, so, you know, everything was going well, but it hit me one day. I'm like, this is not for me. This is not what I want. So I went into psychology, which I love. Psychology, mental health, of course. Mm-hmm. And finished my bachelor's there. And so I'm like, okay, it's time to look for a job. Uh, my mom knew some friends that had a private school in Puerto Rico. And I said, let me apply, you know, just to be a paraprofessional and see where I can, you know, fit in and get some money on the side while I continue doing my master's in psychology. Well, it so happens because I have my bachelor's degree. The first day of, of pre-planning comes in and they give me a class list. And I'm like, oh my God, look at the baby's names. <laughs> and they're like, you are. And I'm like, what <laughs> really <laughs> yep and i'm like oh i don't know how to teach and they put me in a classroom with 27 kindergartners and it was a phenomenal year and you know how, how teachers say that i always pride and i'm always crying that first year i never did mm-hmm. from day one i enjoyed every minute of what i did and it was such a successful year that well you know what i might as well get my credits finish my bachelor's degree in education and so be it and that is where it started and here i wow. am wow <laughs> to think that it started that being thrown into a, a classroom of 27 kids to now where you are in your career opening a, a brand new school so let's let's back up a little bit where where did you go to school that you started this pre-med degree so i went to puerto rico university of puerto rico and rio piedras and okay. um i finished my master's degree in puerto rico as well And then I recently, a year and a half ago, I finished my um, doctorate degree here in Florida. That's amazing. That's an amazing story. So from kindergarten to all through, did you teach other grades as well along the way? I did. When I moved here to Florida, I taught second grade. Okay. That's what my wife teaches. So yeah, awesome. And I think that's where she 
she will stay. She she found her niche in second grade for sure. She's taught junior high for years, so I don't know how she did it, but uh, absolutely loves, loves, loves second grade. So I think there's something special about, well, I, I'm kindergarten, so I'm kind of partial, but there's something <laughs> special about second grade as well. So um, when you moved to Florida, what was it, what was it like, you know, from the differences, I guess, from differences working in a school in Puerto Rico to coming into the States to the public school setting that we have? Did you see a lot of differences? What were your challenges? What, what did you face? It was a huge difference. And um, when I moved here from Puerto Rico, I I already had my principalship um, certification. So it was like starting all over from, okay. from square one. And, but I didn't mind. I didn't mind going back into the classroom. I started teaching second grade. This podcast is sponsored by my friends at SandhillCoffee.com. Listen, if you want some quality coffee delivered straight to your door with a bunch of different blends to choose from, check them out. SandhillCoffee.com is my favorite place to order from. And right now you can get a discount of 10% off your order using the promo code SCHOOL10, S-C-H-O-O-L-10. 10. That's a promo code they offer to all of my listeners. So check them out, sandhillcoffee.com. When they do recalculation in the schools, found a job in October, started working. And um, it was challenging because, I, I mean, sadly, my first experience was like, get into that classroom, do what you need to do and teach. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, I am not familiarized with anything that's going on around here, but I'll make it work. So I'm in <laughs> I'm in a trailer because the school is under construction. So I'm, I'm, I'm teaching from one of those um, portables right. in, the, in the woods, right? Um, with 12 um, ESOL babies. And um, I just started teaching them. And one day a person walks in my classroom and sits down and I'm like, who's this person? I'm like, okay, whatever. And all of a sudden I hear her calling on the radio. She's like, oh, you gotta come see this. And I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing wrong? And um. And within minutes, there were like five people already there. And I'm like, oh, oh it's, it's, am I doing something wrong? She's like, no, no, no. Who, who did those PowerPoints for you? Who's doing those things for you? I'm like, um, me? And they're like, those are amazing. Can we share this? I'm like, of course, let's share it out. Um, my kids were so successful. And I didn't even know what Marzano was. That's our evaluation system. And I'm like, who's that? I'm like, just come in and see me teach. That's all I do, right? So that principal at the end of the school year, he didn't know my story. And, and he's like, so why are you in a classroom? And I'm like, because I'm a teacher. I love what, the, what I do. And he's like, yeah, but you, there's, I mean, there's so many things that you can do outside of the classroom. So by six months later, I'm out of the classroom as a curriculum resource teacher, supporting teachers with professional development. Then I move up. Um, I went to middle school for a year as a dean. I became an assistant principal for a year and a half. And they were calling me saying, hey, this is just, you have a school. And um, I started at one of the schools at Meadowoods Elementary, where I was for four years. And after that, they, I got the call, hey, you're opening a new school. And I'm like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> and here I am. Yeah, it looks, it looks fantastic. So this is a brand new building. Uh, it is. First year in it just now. Um, what was, I mean, you got to explain that feeling of walking into those doors for the first time. It's got to be. Just, I mean, this feeling of elation that is just un- unlike any other. Wow, that that the end of the day of the first day of school is what you, when you realize how I did all this, right? And mm-hmm. I've been out of the school for since January, and from January to all the way to August, I was just working from an office, hiring my staff, 
um, putting systems in place, um, communication with the community, all, all of those pieces and working on logistics, right? Um, I took my time hiring my teachers. I, I had a vision. I knew what I wanted for my school. So mm -hmm. three over 300 resumes that I received, you know, I took my time and, and just picking out these special and beautiful souls for, for the school that I wanted to build for kids, right? Um, so that's that's the special part of opening a new school that you get to fit, to see what your vision is and get the, those specific people to make that happen. Right. Um, so that very first day of school, when 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 the kids come in and all the families, and at the end you get all these fit, feedback and the, and the teachers are happy, and you you go back to your office and you're like, wow, it happened, right? This dream is finally. <laughs> happening it's it's there it's happening right now we open the school finally um so it, it it's it's a very special moment when you become a founding principal of a school but it's it's more rewarding when when you see the people that you put in place and you build the family and you put all of those people in that room and that building and you see them all happy and, and collaborating and becoming you know one community it's it's very very rewarding Lots that's of awesome work. Well, I'm sure. <laughs> well, and I know, I know from seeing your posts and, and just hearing you talk now, you're, you're a very humble person. You, you, you put the, you know, you put the credit on your teachers. You have put in a lot of work and you keep using the word, you know, special people in a special place. And I, I want to point out two things that I noticed on social media that I, I think speak true to that. One was your office, which absolutely looks fantastic. You've been sharing pictures about and then two was this this VIP night for your teachers that I want to talk about because I keep going back to it on social media. So when I was a kid growing up and I, I had great teachers, great administrators, but your office is not what you picture a typical principal's office to look like, <laughs> if that's the if, if that's the right way to say it. I mean, you talk about a place making kids feel feel welcome. And I think there's this stigma around the principal's office, right, that, that everybody has from growing up or from TV shows and movies and social media. But your office is is so welcoming. I mean, kids kids probably want to come in there, right? Like it's so welcoming. So um, I try, you know, I always think of I want my space when I really when I say that I have an open door policy, I mean it, right? And I love that. But that open door policy means that you're welcome, that you don't have to be afraid to come talk to me, that you know, I'm one of you as well. And you can you can trust me and, and, and just walk in there and, and let me know what you're feeling because I need to know what my people, right? The people in my building are feeling so I can mm -hmm. help them. So I don't, I don't like the typical where, you know, you know, you're getting in trouble if I call you to my office. I want you to just sit down. There's chocolate, there's coffee, come visit me. And, and, and the kids, I have a, a safe zone a, a, and we can talk about trauma inform a little later. Um, I have a safe zone for the kids and they have coloring books and books that they can read where they can sit down. They can talk to me and, and, you know, we can, we're, we're going to address the behavior, mm. but then you're going to have a safe space to calm down and deescalate. And then when you're ready, you can talk back to me and then go back to the classroom. And with my staff, they know that they can always stop by just to grab chocolate from a basket or just sit down and tell me what they're feeling. Right. And um, what, when I talk about that, basket of chocolate something as simple as that it does wonders so I you know my teachers are always asking me how do you know when we need a boost <laughs> right you, you you come like in the right moment and I'm like if you only knew if they only knew that my secret is that basket of chocolate because if that basket of chocolate is full on a Wednesday I'm like people are doing fine here <laughs> this is good 
because I, I refill every Monday morning. So if my Tuesday afternoon is empty, I'm like, something's going on. My teachers are stressed. I need to find out what's going on. They need a motivator. And I'll just walk in classrooms with music and deliver snacks or put a little note on their cars. You know, I do something to boost their morale because that is my data right there. That is my data to to um, assess my my school's climate during the, the school year. Right. Yeah, and and then for the kids, they know I if I'm going to address a, a a behavior, I try to go to classrooms to do that. I don't want the kids to see me as I only go to the principal when I'm in trouble. Right. I right. they know that I'm a caring adult. I'm, I'm a supportive adult in the in the building, and I'm there to help them. So I try to make it as invited. As, as inviting as possible. I think that um, learning environments are so important in the way you lay them out and, um, and make people feel welcome. That's amazing. I love that. And then speaking of the staff now, you, you talked about you know their morale and keeping them up and seeing how they're feeling. We mentioned this once already, and we kind of talked about beforehand we started recording, was this this very important professionals night that you held. Tell, tell the listeners about that, because if they don't follow you on social media, they have no idea what I'm talking about. But they're going to want to follow you after this because it was so awesome. I've shared it with so many people and every, I was in a school in Pennsylvania this week and I was like, you're not going to believe what this principal did. And I was showing him your pictures and it was, <laughs> it was just fantastic. So talk about this, this country club that you, you rented out and this photo shoot, this night looked fantastic. Yeah. So um, this is the second time I do it. When I have a new staff, I, I always want to talk about professionalism and mm-hmm. that's one of my expectations in the building, but I always want to, you know, embrace and, and encourage teachers to feel that pride for in what they do and, and education and how important they are and valued and appreciated. But it all starts with us, right? We have so many teachers writing out there and, and, and posting, we need more respect. Um, society needs to respect us more, right? It all starts with us. Yep. And uh, I, I don't know when this happened, that teachers just started to be a little bit more laid back when it comes to looking professional and and, and acting professional in some ways. And um, because we got a little bit maybe too comfortable. And and, and it's not about, you know, I'm going to wear a tie and a a full suit with heels because you're in a classroom. I understand that. But it's just being good role models for kids. And and a lot of, you know, you see right now universities, their educational programs are in shortage right now because they don't have enough students. Mm-hmm. And it's because a lot of people are rethinking, do I really want to be a teacher? And if we're not being role models to these babies now and in the classrooms that we have that to look up to us and be to, to really want to be a teacher, it's going to, I mean, what's going to happen? We're not going to have teachers in the future. And back in the days, you, you used to hear a lot of kids saying, I want to be a teacher when I grow up. I want to be a teacher. When you ask these kids nowadays, if they, if, what do you want to be to grow up? Very few say teachers. I mean, right. they want to be YouTubers and bloggers, <laughs> yeah. you know, you, TikTokers, you know, you name it. They want to do all of that. But very, very few say, I want to be a teacher. So thinking about the future, I always talk to the teachers about how we have to be role models for these kids. And how 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 do we need how we need to you know show to the world how important and value we should be that we are the professions of all professions out there because we are the ones that make lawyers and doctors mm-hmm. and scientists and engineers. It's so amazing what, how many people forget that. <laughs> I mean, it's it's us. Who knows, right? right. It, and wherever you go, there's a teacher. It's us that makes other professions and. How how do we you know how do we maintain that status up there? And it's um, and I talk to them and said when they 
lawyers go to a courtroom, they're wearing a suit and tie. They're not going to show in yoga pants and flip flops and tank tops mm -hmm. or, you know, and a judge is not going to sit up there wearing a short and a T-shirt with with sneakers, you know, and it, it, it's that sense of professionalism. So what I do is I call the VIP experience and I always um, they don't know where they're going. The teachers don't know where they're going. I just tell them you're going to dress up like you're meeting a president. Right here, you're going to meet the president of the United States. I need you to dress professional as, as much as you can because it's going to be a VIP experience. So you see them like looking around, finding suits and, and coming all pretty that day. And I tell them, all right, are you ready? At, at 11 o'clock, we're going to meet by the um, bus loop and we're going to all ride together to a place. And they're they're trusting me. I said, so, so they had no idea they were going to this country club. No idea. They have uh, no oh, my idea. gosh. <laughs> They have no idea where they're going. So I'm like, and one of our habits in the school is believe, believe in the magic of BPE. So that means trust me, right? So they're all getting in that bus and riding together and we go to the country club. And when they go, we have a professional photographer there waiting for them and they're just looking at me. I'm like, well, right now I want you to, I don't know, maybe Google a, a couple of pictures of how to take professional team pictures so you That's can start awesome. posting. So, oh my God, they get also excited looking and practicing their poses and how we're going to look. And they take that picture. But when they're done taking all the pictures, this is when I, this is when I talk to them about, you see how professional you look and how beautiful you look and how proud you feel of yourself right now, right? I see you all even standing a little bit taller than mm -hmm. usual. And this is how you should feel on a daily basis because what you do is so important. You are essential. You are a VIP of all professions. This is how you should feel every day. So it's, it's. I mean, and then we take them and when we go back to school, they have a formal dinner, right? It's just like That's all so the VIP experience. And um, not only doesn't end there. So these pictures are um, made in poster size and we put them in our main corridor. That's what I was going to, I was going to ask. And I assumed that's what you're doing when I saw the pictures come out and the, you know, you, you started sharing them more. And I think that is so fantastic that when, a, when visitors walk into the school, that's, that's what they're hit with is here are the people that are, you know, I'm turning my children over to for the next nine months. That's awesome. Exactly. And so, and, and we put those picture, pictures on the wall and the kids every day, every single day, I see all the kids they don't even get tired. That's my teacher every morning. That's my teacher. Oh, that's my other teacher. That's my teacher from last year. This is my teacher. It's just that says the pride and they see that role model up there. This is who I'm looking up to. And that's the, the I think that's the most important thing of the, of the entire VIP experience for sure. But again, like you're saying, Adam, uh, when parents walk in saying, these are the professionals that are, that I'm, that are taking care of my kids during the day. Mm -hmm. and, and that's very important because that builds trust between the community and the school. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I was always one of those teachers that, you know, I taught kindergarten and I, I use that as an excuse and I totally shouldn't, but I wore, you know, t-shirts and, and shorts to school sometimes. And I remember visiting Ron Clark Academy the first time. Um, gosh, it was probably three years before I, I left the public school and coming back. And I, I went and I started buying ties and I started buying <laughs> dress shirts and I never, I wore those to like, people always joked that when they saw me in a tie at school, they knew it was like parent teacher conference night. Right. Like, and I always joke, I'm like, yeah, I wear a tie on three occasions, weddings, funerals, and parent teacher conference night. And I started wearing shirts and ties to school, even in kindergarten every single day. And I'm not going to lie and say that the, the five-year-olds noticed a difference. I don't know if they did, maybe they did, but I started to see a lot more. 
I don't know if it was respect because I felt like I was always respected, but I saw a lot more parents coming into my classroom to volunteer. I saw a lot more just positive interactions with people around me and, and even my administrators, you know, and, and it, it's, it, there's something to be said. I mean, I don't know if it's, I mean, maybe it's kind of sad that it takes that for people to, to see you as, you know, as a respectful individual, but we, you're exactly right. When we say we look at lawyers, we look at doctors, we look at everybody else in the quote unquote professional world. Why do we not look at teaching as a professional world? You know, so I think you are setting the stage for something that is going to, to spread from school to school to school. And I mean, how lucky for your teachers to be able to, to get that night. That's so fun. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. I, I think it's, I think it's very important and it's it's how people are going to see you dressed up professional, but you internally feel, you know, uh, I feel more professional. I feel sharp. Mm -hmm. I feel ready and prepared for what I'm doing. I feel more confident in what I do. Right. Like I tell the teachers, you know, when you're down, right, especially women, when, when you're down, what do you usually do? Right. You go to the salon, you get your makeup on, you dress up nice to boost yourself and get, OK, I'm here, I'm back. So I think that we should do that as well as teachers. Why not? It's so true. So true. So I want to address um, this idea of opening this new school. So hopefully there's some, you know, some some young teachers, maybe some new teachers to the profession listening to this. What what advice do you have, especially since you just hired a brand new staff, not just a new teacher, you hired a new staff. What advice do you have for, for educators that are that are looking to get into a new school or maybe starting their career for the very first time when it comes to that process of, you know, putting on your your best your 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 best self for an interview or what to what are administrators looking for in today's world to make their school the best that it possibly can be? You know, I, I got that question a lot from, from the teachers when I was interviewing at the end of the, when I said, do you have any questions for me? They usually always ask, what, so what are you looking for? Okay. And my answer always is I'm looking for people that have a, that can, that I can see that they have a genuine care and love for kids that have a growth mindset that are craving to learn new things and that are willing to go above and beyond for, for, for students and, um, and the community that we serve, right? Mm -hmm. And also having that heart in the right place. Because skills, hey, that's what I'm there for. That's, I'm your instructional leader, right? And if, if I walk into your classroom and I see that you need support with that, we'll work together, we'll learn together, and we'll work it out to get you what you need to be with your best practices and instruction. But if I cannot change your heart, I cannot change your passion for what you do. I cannot change your positive attitude. I cannot shift your mind, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that's that's intrinsic. So those are the things that I look for when I'm interviewing teachers is that I want to learn, that craving for learning more, especially when you're opening a new school, because as an administrator, you already have that mission, that mission and vision for the school, what you want. What right. do I want the school to look like? So when you're interviewing, that's what you're looking for, right? I'm looking for people that are going to support my mission and vision and come and make that dream come true. So um, those those are the things that you look for, especially uh, that's it, uh, at least me. That's what I look for. I look for people that have the, a, a, a kind heart, uh, a true passion for kids and education and just a growth mindset. I think that's the key right there. I love that. I, I love it because I'm not going to lie interviews that I've sat through, even when I was on interview teams to hire a new team member. And when I was interviewing for jobs, it, it always went to, 
tell us what you know about this. Tell us what you know about this. And to hear you say that you just want to hear what type of person they are. I mean, you, you know, from following me that that's, that's what I speak about all the time, the type of person someone is. And, and I think that's great. And you mentioned someone with a growth mindset philosophy. Um, I'm looking at your bio here. I mean, you are involved. I don't know how you find the time, but you were involved in a lot of stuff. Not only were you named principal of the year, you've done a bunch of Harvard institutes. You are involved in the Orange County Association of School Administrators, Florida Association of School Administrators, Association of Latino Administrators and Superintendents, National Society of Leadership and Success, and you are OCPS Mental Health Commission Trauma-Informed Committee Chair. How do you find the time to do all this? And I know it's important to you because you talk about growth mindset a lot, but how are you finding time outside of being a principal to a brand new school to involve yourself in so much? I think, you know what? I think that when you build good systems in place in a school and you have the right people there, everything runs smoothly, right? Okay. And there's, you know, some things that I worry about as a principal and I'm all, all, but I know how to delegate and I know how to build capacity within my staff so I can delegate things and trust what they do. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important because otherwise as a principal, if you don't learn how to build capacity and if you don't know, learn how to delegate to the right people and put some systems in place, then you're, it's on you. Everything's on you. And there is no way that I, this is a one person show, right? It takes a village. Right. And so, yes, it's a little extra time, but it, the same way I'm asking my teachers to do to go above and beyond for kids, I, I have to find ways to do it myself as well. So I think that these are the ways that I go above and beyond and 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 ways that I can impact other administrators to do other the same things or, or try new things for their teachers as well. And that's my mentality. And that's why I wanted to become an administrator is just because as an administrator, I'm just one person. I'm not, I'm not there's. Although I would love to, it's impossible to be in every classroom on a daily basis and be able to reach 800, 600, 1,000 kids on a daily basis. But teachers can, right? Right. So when you invest in the adults that you that are working with you, you invest in them and you build that capacity. Then you have time to do other things to continue impacting the community and other administrators and reaching out to other branches that are related to what you do. Well, I think you're an amazing role model for that. The fact that, I mean, not even the fact that you have that on your repertoire of stuff, but you can tell there's a true passion that you're involved in these things for the right reasons, not just to, you know, not just to tick a box on a, on a spreadsheet. You, you are involved for purpose. And I think that that stands true and it shows and shines in you. So one of the things we talked about at the beginning is this, this doctoral degree that you got. Congratulations, by the way, that's no easy feat to <laughs> say Dr. Vasquez, right? That's amazing. But um, you did it in something that is, I don't, I don't know when you, when you got your degree, but I think you probably got it at the right time, especially now coming, you know, I I like to say post pandemic, even though we're still pandemic, but it's going to be needed a lot post pandemic, this idea of trauma informed approach. And I assume, can we link your, your, your dissertation in the show notes? Is that okay for people to find? Absolutely. Yes. yes. All right. So we'll, we'll link that below. If anyone wants to take a look at it, I looked through it. It's, it's fantastic. Um, But tell us about this, this, first of all, your reason for making that your dissertation. And let's talk about this trauma-informed approach. I know that, I don't know if buzzword is the right word, but it's, I feel like, you know, in education, there's always something new that comes along and it gets labeled this and labeled this. And I keep hearing trauma-informed, trauma-informed education, trauma-informed approach a lot from people lately. And I don't think that's any surprise with the way the world is going right now that we're hearing that more and more. But um, talk to us about that study and, and your dissertation on that and how you're putting those things into effect in your own school and working with teachers to make that come alive. 
when I tell you that timing is everything, it, it's so true. I mean, <laughs> when I started doing my my doctoral degree and, and they told us to find a topic for our dissertation, um, my school, my other school, my previous school was um, selected to be a, one of the pilot schools for trauma-informed training, right? Okay. And implementation. So I got the opportunity to, um, back in 2018, to visit um, the trauma-informed conference in Washington, D.C., and I, and I started hearing all about it. And um, I said, oh, I love this. Because again, I started in psychology, right? Everything is mental health and I love it. <laughs> so, um, when I started implementing it at the school and I started seeing the, I would say, I dare to say immediate results and the impact of students' academics and behaviors and climate and culture, I'm like, wow, this is amazing. So I said, you know what, this is going to be my topic. I just need to continue doing my research and, and learning more about this and collecting data to just prove that not only because I'm saying, hey, it's working in my school, I have the data to prove it. So working on this was a blessing. So the pandemic hit and I was not supposed to finish my dissertation until um, June, this June, right? June 2021. Really? Yeah. But. I saw the importance of it. And I told my committee chair, I need to finish this now. And she's like, you're going to get sick if you do this. <laughs> and I'm like, I'll take a risk because it's going to be needed, one, yep. two. And there's no way that I'm going to continue working on a dissertation while running a school during a pandemic, right? Right. It get it done crazy. before the school year starts. <laughs> <laughs> get this off my plate. I rather sacrifice myself during the summer, and I—I I mean, endless hours. I would go to sleep at four o'clock in the morning, sleep two hours, go to work. But I did it right, and I finished it because I just—I needed to have that in place to help others because I know this was coming, right? And um, the trauma informed. I—I this summer I worked with a couple of my colleagues. I went to their schools and 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 do a, a, some trainings uh, on trauma informed. But also my teachers, I got them ready for this new school year. And, and so far, it's like from day one, we were using safe zone. They knew to identify those red flags. They knew what interventions to put in place. We already have systems in place to monitor and support the kids. So it's just so important. But mm -hmm. in my previous school, we saw wonders. And whenever I, I present that data, is it, it touches my heart and, and it's genuine because it's about saving lives is about making a difference in, in kids lives it's supporting teachers and not interrupting instructional time because kids are learning how to self-regulate instead of being disruptive in the classroom it's about teachers looking at kids through a different lens and instead of saying i don't want that child in my classroom or suspend that kid because he or she's driving me crazy it's like i'm concerned about this baby how can we help him right it's about you know Dealing and understanding that behavior is equals communication, and that what what we're instead of asking a child why are you doing this is what internally asking ourselves what happened to this child that he or she is acting this way, and how can we make it better? Extinguishing behaviors, right, and supporting the families as well. It's, it's just so many things that the trauma informed approach um, impacts in school, the academics, how our data improves um, drastically because these kids' hearts and brains were being prepared on a daily basis 
for learning to happen, right? It's mm-hmm. if, if it's not, if the brain is not ready to learn, there's there, you can be there for seven hours and there's nothing entering that brain during the school day because there's something wrong with the heart. There's something wrong with the brain and that is blocking everything else. So just scanning the kids in the morning and, and just being able to stand, I stand in the lobby every single morning, welcoming all of my kids And I do it because I want to build that relationship with them and connecting with them. But also I am, you know, looking at my babies and seeing, oh, this one's sad. This one's angry. Let me stop him before he goes to the classroom and gets in trouble. I'd rather stay with him. Bell rings. I stay with him 10 minutes. Let's have a conversation. How can we help you? Let's do some breathing exercises. Let's talk about your emotions this morning. And then I send you back to the classroom. You're you're, you're ready to learn. Mm -hmm. But if I send, if I scan you and I see you, you're angry and I send this baby to the classroom, I'm just here waiting for maybe 10 minutes or 15 minutes later for a teacher to be calling the office, come get so-and-so because he's being disruptive. Right. So it's just, you know, avoiding and being proactive in so many ways that the trauma-informed works. And it's, it, I mean, during the pandemic um, in my previous school, uh, when we went fully virtual, I had parents sending me emails and pictures of look um, Ms. Vasquez we created this safe zone at home at home to help my child during the day and when they get anxious in front of a computer they know they can go there and we taught them all the breathing exercises that you taught them at the school that's awesome is that right how amazing I, I was so excited that I, I I got in my car and we have this bins that we have with lots of fidgets for the for our um, safe zones mm-hmm. Every parent that sent me a picture of a safe zone, I drove to their homes and and with a balloon and surprised them. I said, "Hey, here's a box, so you can add this to your safe zone." That's and so amazing. So much, you know. It's just that sense of it. It it's not something that impacts only students. It impacts an entire school community. Right. That's awesome. I, and I've seen your pictures that you post of your safe zones. Your teachers are setting up. They look. They look so. I mean, I want to go hang out in one of the. <laughs> they look so comforting. I gotta ask though because. I, I've seen this on social media and, and I don't think this person's going to be listening to me, but I saw a parent from our, our building uh, post a very negative response to our school implementing safe zones. And, and it, it's actually a parent of a past student of mine. Um, I feel like we had a really good relationship when I was a teacher, but she was, for lack of better words, just ripping apart this idea of calling out kids. And she turned such a negative light onto it that it was going to cause harm because now everybody was looking at this kid being put into this safe zone. And, and have you had, have you seen any response that were in during your training where you, you know, were you made aware of responses like that or how to handle parents and really make this see that this is, you know, this is okay. This isn't, this isn't shaming a student. This isn't behavior. This isn't punishing. This is, this is helping. So I guess if you ever do come across like that, maybe you haven't, what, what kind of response can you give to someone that, that questions this? Well, first of all, I think it's, it's vital that when, when we implement these in schools, that we also include the parents, right? So yes. we do workshops, we do workshops and, and we do trainings and we, and we teach the parent the rationale why we're doing this and how important it is for kids. So because they need to understand and sometimes they, they probably think that a safe zone is a timeout, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a shaming back to the days where we put in the quarter with, with the hat. With the dunce cap, yeah. <laughs> that is what they're probably perceiving is like, oh, wait, you're putting my child in a corner and, and why are you doing this? But when we explain that a safe zone is a no, no questions asked zone, right? The, teacher, the, the, the student is not sent there. Mm-hmm. The student chooses to go there 
when they feel that they need to self-regulate. And that is something that is taught to the student. And that is something that is provided to avoid any behaviors or teach them how to cope with their emotions. And um, it's just providing safety so they can feel safe when they're in home, at, at school and when they are in, in their classrooms. It's just explaining that to the parents and when they see it that way, I think it makes a huge difference. But again, it's vital that when we are implementing these things, every stakeholder is part of it and understands that what we're doing. That's a fantastic piece of advice. Yeah. And I, I've, I've always been one that includes parents into my classroom as much as possible. But unfortunately, that doesn't happen across the board. And I think it happens less and less as kids get older, right? Like I, I know, you know, as kids are in junior high, the parents are aren't invited in and, and maybe not as relevant as much when it comes to being in the classroom. So I love it that that's, that's your answer. Like start, include the parents, include the parents. That's, that's a great place to start. So not that I, I want to take away from your, your data and, and I don't want to, I want to drive people towards that. So teachers and, and listeners, please check out that link in the show notes, but what tips do you have for, for teachers who, who don't have the, you know, the instruction, the education, the research behind trauma uh, informed and trauma-based where do they start? You know, wh- what kind of steps can they take to implement? You know, if they're listening to this right now and saying, oh my gosh, I can, you know, I can identify students right now that need a safe zone or that need this and that and, and all these steps. Where do teachers begin? Well, I think there's a lot of resources out there nowadays. Um, I, one of the, the very first, I do a lot of book studies with my teachers, but mm-hmm. in one of the very first books that I like to use to introduce trauma and form um, it's helpful for Billy. Okay. Yes. It's a book that it, you know, it's, it, it opens your eyes and, and it makes you realize how many Billy's you have in your classroom mm-hmm. and how many Billy's have gone through your life. And there's, there's tons of resources. There's podcasts, there's, there's YouTube videos. There's, there are so many books out there on trauma and form. So if, if the administration is not supportive of it, right. Um, I think I always tell teachers that, the magic happens in their classroom, mm-hmm. right? And the sometimes you're blessed to have great leaders. Sometimes you're not blessed to have great leaders. But I always tell the teacher, no matter what, who is your leader at the time, the magic happens in your classroom. You make things happen in your classroom. So they can start implementing things in classrooms. It's, a, it's not something that you can do overnight. And it's like, oh, I know the next day I read this book and the next day I, I know right. how to identify put what interventions I need to put in place. But I think that having those morning meetings with the students, making themselves visible in the mornings to welcome kids, just to build those relationships and connect with them. Sometimes um, we're guilty, right? We're in, in the mornings, we're so busy and we're in our presentation station or at our desk trying to get the morning ready for our students that kids are walking in and we're not even acknowledging them, right? Mm-hmm. They're even noticing that if they're sad or if they're hungry or sick and they just sit there and you start your day and then during the day is then when you start noticing but by then it's probably too late right there's there's already disruption i need to i need attention and the behaviors start happening but if you are making yourself visible and you welcome your kids at the door with with you know with your secret signal or with just a, an affirmation in the morning it's important I think it's important that every child, and that's that's always my one of my um, not negotiables at school, is that every child needs to see a minimum of three adults in the morning to get an affirmation, to get a hug, to get an I love you, to 
get, make me proud to hear something before they go that because that's the brain getting ready. Okay, I'm safe here. People love me here. I have someone to care for me. And they're by the time they get to their rooms, their brain is at ease and it's easier for them to start learning. So learning about, you know, self-learning about uh, trauma-informed, it's it's a start if, if it's something that's not supported by the leadership, but making yourself visible as a teacher and connecting with your kids and taking the time to build those surveys and class meetings so you can know their interests and backgrounds and have a genuine connection with them, that's where it starts because then kids start opening to you. They start expressing their feelings to you. And then little by little, you can start implementing a little um, strategies that work with trauma-informed. I love that. And I, I love that the, the, your, your tip right there that I got the most out was just that being noticed. I mean, it's such a simple step, you know, and, and how easy we overlook this, but how easy is it for us to just, you know, let a kid wander to their classroom, you know? And then on the flip side, how easy would it be for an administrator or a counselor or, you know, an, an aide to be standing in the hallway and say hello to these children as they pass? I mean, so I think that's a perfect place to start. I know I was the same way as you. I greeted my kids at the door of my classroom, usually with like a guitar around my neck, welcoming them in, high-fiving them. You know, here we are. Welcome to our room for the day. Let's get started. So I think I love it that, yes, there's a lot of research in this. And obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm scrolling through your, your uh, dissertation, which... I want to read, but I'm, I can't do right now, obviously, because it's it's fantastic. Um, regardless of all the research that's there and the time that you've put in, that simple step. I mean, that's something we can all do without reading every book under the sun or studying this for years and years and years. So I love it that you you gave a very easy approach into getting started. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that, awesome. that's, just make yourself visible, connect, connect with the kids. That's perfect. So I mentioned earlier that you and I both have a, a love of, of RCA and you just were invited there recently. Is that, am I right? I saw some pictures shared of an interview that was gone. Tell us about that. So um, I guess that one of their sponsors was doing like a short documentary or about RCA and how uh, their sponsorship is impacting schools and students. So I um, got invited to share of you know, what strategies have I learned and implemented at my school? And what's the impact that RCA has in educators and students? So it's a great experience just talking about the ideas that you get and as, a, as an administrator, how you can mo modify them, right? To what, what the environment and the resources that you have to make those things happen at your school, how do you modify them and implement them in your own ways? That's awesome. That's awesome. And I'll tell you what, they are they are perfect examples of that, right? And not even, I mean, with their students, of course, but Ron and Kim, the entire staff are, are fantastic about that with teachers too. I mean, when they, when they see a face that they have met, they, they remember, I don't know how, because there's tens of thousands of teachers that come through that building every year, but I will never forget. Um, this was right around the time that Ron was on Survivor. And uh, it, it, I don't know if it had finished yet or if it was still on, um, but my my daughter, our family, we, we absolutely love Survivor. We miss it so much. I cannot wait for it to come back. But we were we had watched Survivor and she and my son both knew about our experience with RCA because my wife and I had both gone and we had shown them the movie and we had started the you know the essential 55 with them at home. So she 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 loves Ron. I mean, she was obsessed with Ron Clark. And this has been a few years ago now, but we were working with a company that I, I share a strong passion with, Alive Studios. We were working their booth at the national ASCD event in Chicago. And Ron was the keynote speaker. And, and I knew they were, I was like, there's no way we're gonna get a chance to talk to him. Like this event is a national event. It's, you know, it's huge. It's in McCormick Place in Chicago. 
And I was in the booth working with my friends and I hear that he was doing a book signing. I'm like, Oh, Liv, we should go. We should go buy a book. You can buy it or I'll get it for you. And, and you can, you can meet him, you know? And she knew that my wife and I had met him and my sister um, and Ron had a really close relationship. She had visited there a number of times and he actually visited her school here in Illinois when he was doing a tour of colleges and, and speaking. So he knew my sister really well. He had met me once or twice and I was kind of waiting outside the book signing line. Right. And, and I wasn't, I wasn't going to go get in line because I didn't want to interrupt the teachers, but I, I just really wanted, she wanted to get a picture with him. Right. My daughter's standing there and he looks at me and he's like, Hey, I want to chat with you guys, but, but I got to see these teachers first. I'm like, wait a minute. He, he remembers, like he remembers us. Right. Like and my daughter was like, what does he mean? He wants to talk to us. So I was like, let's just go get in line, Liv. And we did. And we get up and no more than like open the book. And he goes, you tell your aunt, I said, hi. And I was like, holy cow. Like, what is going on here? Like he really, and he's like, he looked at me and he's like, how long has it been since you've been to the school? Like he remembered that I had been there and I will never forget. I share these pictures every time they pop up or pop up in a, a memory that like he stood there and had a conversation with my daughter who he had never met about her entering fifth grade and, and what she was looking forward to and how excited she was to go back to school. And he made her feel like she was on top of the world. And I think that the fact that they can do that with complete strangers. I mean, think about what we could do as educators with the people we already know inside our building, right? It's, I know I just babbled on, but it's one of those stories I'll never forget because he made her feel so important. No, I, I, I adore Ron and Kim. And um, it's, it's that, that is one of the things that I admire about them the most is how humble they are mm -hmm. and how the, their willingness to support educators you know, without thinking about the monetary or the profit, it's just the, the openness of how can I help you? How can I help your school? And they connect with the people that visit RCA. And, and it's, you can see that there's a genuine connection and, and, and love for the people that visit them. Right. And I mean, Ron and Kim, whenever I need them, I, I just send them an email or text and they're, and they're always there, always, always there for, for me. And whenever you know can you talk to my teacher absolutely and you know you i admire that so much because i know how busy they are yeah and but they're always make themselves available to support educators right and that for me is so valuable right and, and, and again they're super busy but they make time they make time for their people they make time for for the for their for their followers they make time for the people that visit rca and that is priceless that is priceless that itself it's worth all worth it of visiting rca not only for that amazing life-changing experience right? right when you go to rca's life-changing experience but just getting to know them and, and and know that they're there to continue supporting you it's it's priceless well i would argue that there's a little bit of ron and kim shining through in you because what you're doing at your school mirrors that so much you everything you just said that they do I see you doing it with your own students, with your own staff. So I applaud you. Um, I want to come work for you. Like, I want to come work in Orlando. Plenty of space here in Florida. <laughs> it sounds amazing. So we're going to, we're kind of out of time here. We're going to cut that off. But before we do, how can people connect with you? Because uh, I know people are going to want to, besides the link of your dissertation, uh, listeners, go check it out. I've, I've read through a few paragraphs. I know I haven't had time to read the whole thing, obviously, but uh, if you want to learn more about trauma-informed, that's where you need to start because it's, it's absolutely amazing. But how can people follow you and find you and keep up with your story? So I have Twitter and Facebook um, at 
Aleli Vaz, A-L-E-L-I-V-A-Z. Um, you can find me there. I have LinkedIn. I have Instagram. Instagram is Dr. Queen V. Queen V is how teachers call me. They they, okay. they come up with this name. So, hey, I, I go with the flow. I love that. Um, so it's at Dr. Queen V on Instagram as well. But I use more, the more, I, the platforms I use more is Twitter and um, Facebook as well. Well, you can see a lot of Facebook, um, the things that I do at the school and also my school, um, Village Park Elementary. Yeah, people are going to want to check it out because not only does the building look amazing, but what you're doing there looks absolutely fantastic. So thank you so much for hanging out with us today. I really appreciate all that you have to share. More importantly, appreciate what you're doing for for students, for staff, for families. You've got a good thing going there in Orlando, and, and I think it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna get its time in the spotlight for sure because you're doing some pretty amazing stuff. Thank you so much, Adam. I appreciate you, and thank you for this opportunity. All right, thanks everyone. Thank we'll you. see you on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of On My Way to School with Adam Peterson. Check the show notes for more information from our guest and be sure to follow me on social media at TeachersLearn2, the number two, to stay up to date with everything that I'm doing, as well as check out adampetersoneducation.com to see where you can see me speaking next or bring me to your own school. Make sure to rate and like and share this podcast so others can find it too, and we'll see you on the next episode. The